Hey everybody, it's a very special edition of Unredacted with Kurt Schlichter, the Unredacted podcast. I don't actually redact anything. I can swear, you can say fuck, shit, damn, bulwark writer, any obscenity. Ahoy, um, boy! Ahoy! Oh, guys, that voice there is my friend Owen Brennan of Madison McQueen. You might remember him from such political ads as the Office Space Hillary ad and the Lawyers and Hollywood Producers Coming Over the Border Fence ad. Invasion. Invasion. Da, da, da. Uh, helped Ted Cruz keep uh, uh, keep his job. And uh, so uh, we, we have just gone out in the South Bay because we, we live very close to each other. We went out to an unspecified uh, steakhouse tonight. And uh, the owner is uh, one of us. We're not going to say who he is. But it's not one of us. It's another guy, but he's kind of like us. He's got he, he secret conservative. And there's a lot of that here in Ted Lou's district. Is he? We're recording, and, and I want to get get serious for just a sec. I want to uh, let you know we're recording this on nine eleven, and that's a that that's a, a huge day for all of us, but it's very special for Owen. Owen worked for Rudy Giuliani that day. He was there. He saw it. It was right in front of him, and uh, you know we, we we toasted the firefighters at dinner. We toasted the cops. Uh, it's uh, you know it's an important day. And it's 19 years. 19 years. And what's crazy, like, you know, social media is full of images mm-hmm. of, you know, George Bush throwing out the first pitch of the first game of the World Series. That was like a month away. Or George Bush's bullhorn speech was actually September 14th. And I was like 15 feet away from him when he gave that speech. The so you re- actually, you were there when, he, literally when history was made. You watched it. I, so the, there's a interest. There's a funny story. Uh, why does a speechwriter? Why does Mayor Giuliani's speechwriter need to be at the pile that they were calling it then at that moment, Ground Zero, when the president of the United States town to tour the area? And they didn't need a speechwriter. I was Mayor Giuliani's speechwriter. They didn't need me to be a speechwriter at that moment. What my job was was to go over there with the communications team and. My only responsibility was to take the pool footage and I partnered up with a NYPD detective who drove me back around from around lower Manhattan, sort of up to Chambers Street north of where the, the World Trade Center was and over to the South Street Seaport where there was a, a satellite truck that then beamed that pool tape up to satellites and then the satellites beamed that down to all the networks. And so that bullhorn speech for about, you know, I sat there 15 feet from the, the president when he gave that speech. I hear you, and pretty soon they'll all hear you. The, the cameraman who was there shot some more footage, turned to me, handed me the tape. I put it in a case, put it in my jacket, found the detective who was going to drive me back around, and for about 20 minutes, I was the only person on earth who had that footage. And, and that, that was your guy's footage? No, no, it was a it was a pool report. Press pool. Yeah, it was a press pool. But that you were shot handling it. that for him, right? But he gave it to me, and I just I took it back over to the. When you watch the president do that, and I remember, you know, I was here in the South Bay, right? South uh, South Bay of Los Angeles, the beach cities. It's south of LAX. Uh, I mean, it, we we call it Shangri La, and you know, I've lived all over the world, and I I think I always thought this was the nicest place. So. Having the whole nine eleven things completely alien here, though it affected us too in our own way. But you're you're right there when right. this is happening. This is something we've all seen. Right. Did you realize it was history? Oh, absolutely. When he 
he put his arm around the, the, the gentleman he put his arm around was a retired firefighter from New Jersey. Yeah, because he, he, he was tight, an older guy. Older guy. And he just said, fuck it, I put his shit on, and he came out. Yeah, people came. And that was a lot of the guys. Yeah, and by the way, they weren't all first responders. There were a lot of union guys, labor guys, builders, just drone truckers. Right, dr- um, iron workers. Hey, who, Lou, let's go. They need yeah, us. Yeah, let's take the truck. We're going in. Did that kind of make their, your hair kind of, were you kind of like, holy shit. Yeah, this I mean, is. And by I the mean, way, this is amazing. That was that was September fourteenth. Seventy two hours after the attack was the soonest that you could get the president onto that site safely. Right, right. Because so it was still burning. The the fire there burned for more than a hundred days. Um, it smoldered. It was two hundred fifty degrees. Two hundred sorry, twenty five hundred degrees uh, when it first came down, and it just smoldered for uh, through January, and so. That was. It took seventy-two hours for that to be a safe place for the president to go. Right. And so, the Secret Service had to be saying, "Oh God, you're not going there." And he, right. he was like, "With all these people who are like, who are these people who are going to be all around you with a, literally a stone's throw of the president?" And they were. The president was like, "No, we're doing it. Well, let's go." I got beefs with George Bush. I have no beefs with what happened that month. No, not at all. Yeah, absolutely. He, um, I've been fortunate enough. I was able. My wife and I. We were at a. Uh, an event where Donald Rumsfeld uh, spoke, and I was able to get five minutes with him, where I was able to shake his hand and say, you know, thank you. As we were here in New York City trying to rebuild the city, and I didn't have to worry about what you guys were doing because I knew you guys had the national watch. Because they really, they went after our enemy at that point. They went in and we, we killed piles of those motherfuckers. Yes. And we're still killing them. Yeah. And we haven't slowed down. Yeah. Wherever they are, they may be driving on a road through a Sudan, and we'll put a fucking hellfire through it. Yep. Drones are handy now. <laughs> but you're, you're 72 hours in. You're watching this historical event. Right. And what do you think? I'm trying to figure out where's the detective I have to meet. How, what route are we going to take back? We've got to walk. You, we couldn't get a car within eight blocks of where the, uh, the World Trade Center was. So the, cop, the, the detective tells me, that the car is actually up near City Hall, which is three or four blocks. That's where I was on 9-11. And so we walk up there and then take the car around. It really, you know, like, you're there to do a job. Like, you realize it's history. You realize you're a part of history. You realize you're kind of watching. Did you know that intellectually, or did you did you really feel it? Hold it. Everything that happens right now is something that people are going to remember 19 years, 20, 50, yeah. 100 years later. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the... The the chills I got seeing the president give those remarks, the bullhorn speech, as we call it. He was just off the cuff. He was present. He was in the moment. He was, you know, demonstrating, you know, incredible leadership for what the country needed at that time. And that's what, you know, as a speechwriter for Mayor Giuliani, we tried to, you know, do that every single day for the next 101 days between 9-11 and the end of the term. So... Uh, Tell, tell us what happened. T- tell us your experience on 9-11, because everybody's got their own. It's the JFK, JFK uh, challenger of, of, of this generation. I was literally, so back it up one night, the night before, I know you're not a sports ball guy, but the night before the New York Yankees were playing, and um, Roger Clemens was pitching for his 20th victory of the season. And 20 is a good mark for a pitcher in the major league. Um, and so we were staying up to wait to watch the game but on there was TV a, or on TV there? okay and there was a big storm that came through 
And so it, you know, the game ended up getting canceled. My roommate and I ended up maybe drinking a little too much scotch that night because we just kept, you. We were just waiting. It was a that's cool ridiculous. Let me have the wine. And I wake up the next morning. My roommate's gone. My roommate, who also works down at the World Trade Center, uh, for Morgan Stanley at the time. Wow. And I get out of the shower, and the first tower is hit. And New York One is playing. And New York One is talking about you know the plane. What's New York One? New York One is basically the the CNN of New York City. It's a twenty four hour. 24-hour okay. news service. So New York here. has its own news service yes. for those of us who live in the rest of America. Right, right. So I, I'm like, that's weird, you know. But you know, the there was a plane. There's a B-25, B-25 Mitchell that flew the, uh, into the Empire, Empire State, State building. building, and I'm like, it was foggy, and like last night it was super stormy. And so I walk over to my window and I poke my head out, and it's like clear blue sky. I'm like, that's weird. And so I'm getting dressed, and like you're, this isn't. This isn't the social media age of today. That's the crazy, that, that's the thing that you realize when you look at your, your news feeds today and you think about 9-11, is that it took them 20 minutes to get cameras. Um, you know, it took them, you know, they had a, a you know. The, Everybody didn't have a cell phone with right. camera. So there was a, there were, there were long shots from Midtown that, I don't know, maybe there were traffic cameras that they kind of retrained and looked at the World Trade Center. You could see the long shot. You couldn't tell how big the the impact was but there was smoke there was smoke coming out but okay. you know it's like and they were they were saying you know was this a weather was this a small plane it looks like a small plane because you couldn't see just right the cameras weren't up close and I remember the exact moment I was tying my tie um, when the second plane impacted the South Tower I remember seeing it come around um, and hitting that South Tower and I just ran out my front door. Um, ran out to um, 3rd Avenue, which is where I lived at 3rd and 14th, uh-huh. and I grabbed a cab. Because normally I would take a subway, but now the world is being attacked and I'm not getting in a subway system. And, and you just take a cab. I hopped, yeah, I grabbed a cab. Everything's going on and you're like, taxi? Yeah, no, the taxi driver had no idea. I mean, we're only 20 minutes into this thing at that right. point. And the taxi driver, he has no idea. I have to explain to him, like, Hey, I need you to get as close to uh, City Hall as possible. You're not going to be able to do it, but just you know, follow my follow my direction through Chinatown. And he's thinking you're nuts. Yeah, he's thinking I'm nuts. And then, and we, of course, he's from fucking Romania. So. Uh, yeah, I think he's probably from one of the stands. Okay, um, if I remember correctly. Um, oh, that's awkward. <laughs> and we got down all the way down to like uh, the Four Points area, uh-huh. kind of near the, uh, the the federal courthouses. And the NYPD had already shut down streets by that point. We were like half an hour in. Um, and I hop out and I, you know, it's probably, I don't know. I, I honestly don't know how far it is. Um, I ran around the corner, around the, the federal courthouses. I come around um, the New York, there's a New York State courthouse there just north of the uh, city hall. Is that Foley Square? South of there. Okay. And I look up. And I, I, that's the first time I'm able to get like a good view of the North Tower. And there is just sort of a jagged line that looks like a plane flew through it. It's like the shadow of a plane. And it was up near the top of the building. Um, and I say to myself in my wonderfully naive, late 20s optimistic way, we can fix that. And I run down towards City Hall um, you know, Tweed, uh, right kind of near Tweed Courthouse, if you know the area. Go down around the corner of City Hall. Intel lets me in. 
go in, uh, as I'm going up the steps, two of the communications directors are coming down the steps. And I'm like, again, I'm a speechwriter. They don't need me today. And so I'm like, hey, what do you guys need? And they said, the phone's ringing off the hook in the press office. Just could you go in there? And so I went into the press office and the uh -huh. phones were ringing off the hook. Uh, and I remember just sort of like answering the phone. And it would be a producer for Good Morning America. It would be a producer for CNN. It would be a producer for Fox News. Hi, is Mayor Giuliani available for to do a, a quick hit? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yay, Rudy! Hey, hey, Rudy, wake up. Rudy, got anything going? And the weird, like, I didn't know where the mayor was, right? No, you know, like, nobody knows what's going on at this point. Uh, little did I know, the mayor was at, um, at breakfast that morning with uh, William Simon, Californian, uh -huh. uh, Bill Simon, who had ran, run for governor, good right. friends of, with him from the days of the Department of Justice. Rudy was on his way downtown, um, down to the scene. And I go into the press office and I just start answering the phones. And I, I literally, I was taking notes, messages. So you take a message at GMA, uh, right, once Rudy. Producer, da da da. And, you know, I started hearing, you know, like the, the press office was buzzing. And, oh, hey, we're going to do a, a presser at the corner of, it wasn't West Broad, I think it was Church. It was kind of close to the World Trade Center. And, you know, the, there's a little time goes along. And then the reports of the Pentagon were happening when I was in there or it just happened. And again, once again, you couldn't get a camera on it very quickly. Right? So you So you hear the pet one New York hit the Pentagon's hit, hit and but you, the second tower hadn't been hit yet. No, the second tower had been hit. I left oh, my office. I left my home when the second tower okay, got hit. Okay. All right. So you knew two buildings that you knew as terrorism. Yes. Okay. And well I knew that it was something horrible. Like I you know nobody you know, I, I wouldn't have, didn't say it was Obama Osama bin Laden. But we knew we were under attack. And then... When did you go back to that hotel? Well, that was in the evening. You went back to a hotel in the evening? Well, that was at the end of the day. Okay. Um, I couldn't get down to lower Manhattan where my, my apartment was. But the... You know, the, all of a sudden, and if you're Californian, you know this feeling. It feels like there was an earthquake. And then there was this incredibly loud sound, like a, a, the world was kind of shaking kind of sound. And all I could think of... You're inside we, the court... I'm in, uh, no, I'm inside City, City Hall. And the Pentagon had been hit. We didn't know what happened in Flight 93 at that point, but we had heard they have a bunch of planes. And I'm thinking about, like, what left is there to hit down? What, I, it felt like a, a plane was flying right over where I was. And then the power goes out. Everything goes dark. And that's the moment the North Tower, or the South Tower, fell... But we had no knowledge of that. Like we had no, we had no idea what was happening. Uh, the TVs had kicked out. You know, we had seen sort of the beginning of the collapse before the power went out. Um, and everything went dark. And then the power came back on in City Hall. And the mayor's secretary, the mayor's secretary, Beth Hatton, I just remember a really loud wail. Um, and her husband was the captain of Rescue One, probably the most elite firefighting team in the country. And she knew, not didn't know, no, but she knew inherently that her husband would have been first person on the scene. He was working that day and he would have been 60 stories up trying to save lives and that he was dead. And I will not forget her sort of wail. I'm like, I came back out of the press office to see where she was. And she's like, Terry's gone. And, you know, like, we, we don't know what's happened. Like, we don't know the tower. You know, like, she's like, Terry's gone. I know it. Um, and then 
the deputy mayor comes running through, like, where's Rudy? Where's Rudy? Uh, the NYPD has a special code that they call when they don't know where the mayor is. Nobody knew where the mayor was. Everybody knew the mayor was downtown by that point, but they didn't know where he was. He could have been um, in the building for all yeah, you knew. I, there's a moment after I saw Beth where I turn around and in the, the foyer, uh, the entryway of City Hall, big domed area with a gigantic chandelier that was swinging back and forth, like eight feet back and forth. And this is like, City Hall in New York City is built, it was built, I think, 1812. Big, gigantic pieces of stone that are immovable. Um, and the entire building shook so much that the, the chandelier in the foyer was swinging back and forth. We go back in, the intel unit, the intel unit's the mayor's, you know, the bunch of detectives, they take care of the mayor's team. Uh, they're like, we've got to evacuate you guys. <laughs> like, we're all looking at each other like, seems pretty safe here. Like, I don't know. And like in hindsight, I don't know if the North Tower fell kind of northeast or whatever, like would that have impacted us instead of falling down? But they, so they get us sort of right outside of the foyer, ready to go out to a, a van that was parked right outside of City Hall. And the, I remember the detectives opened the door. There are, actually, there are, I think there were three vans. And there were about 18 of us. And we were all going to go to, you know, the, these six people in each van. And right as the door opened, all of a sudden, the ground started to shake again. That same noise we heard when the first tower collapsed came over. It was like a deafening roar, like a, a jet plane flying right over us. And the intel team pushes us all back in. It goes dark again. I just see all the dark dust sort of coming at us from lower Manhattan, three blocks away, through the tower or through the, uh, you know, the, the streets. Goes pitch black. We're there. That's ten twenty-eight now. We're there. I don't know. Maybe five, ten minutes. Just enough. Where you, there's a statue of Thomas Paine right in the front of uh, City Hall Park, maybe twenty, thirty yards away from the front steps. So the dust from the second tower is coming towards City Hall. It goes dark again. Pitch black. Power goes out again. The intel unit pushes everybody back into uh, the, the big foyer, the rotunda of City Hall. The, once again, the chandelier is swinging back and forth, and we just hold there. Uh, I, think, I think we may have gone back over toward the press office where the ceiling wasn't, you know, 80 feet high, where it was a little, uh, the beams were a little closer, kind of like if you live in California. Yeah, and yeah. There's an earthquake, you go stand under the doorframe. Right, frame. you stand under some stable. <laughs> um, but then the, the there's a statue of um, Thomas Paine 30, 40 yards out in front of the steps of City Hall and City Hall Park where you could start to see him again. And that's when the detail, the mayor's detail, came back in and got us out. And this is like uh, mayor's two speechwriters, one of them, um, uh, researchers, uh, the press officers, his secretaries, yeah, maybe 12 to 18 people at the most, maybe 18 people, including the cops, getting us into these vans. We go down the steps. I just remember, I remember looking up and seeing stuff on fire falling down, like paper on fire, like the most benign, like I imagined it was a resume that was falling from the sky that was on fire coming down. It was all gray. It looked like a volcanic explosion. You know, we walked down the steps. Um, we walked down the steps. We get taken to the vans. We get in the vans. 
and people are like kind of have been frantically trying to call friends, family, like their parents. Everybody, like my all my my peers at the time were late twenties, uh-huh. and so we're trying to call our parents, like, "Hey, I'm okay. You know, it's okay." My phone, for whatever reason, was the only phone that was working, and so uh, I got through to my mom. And I said, Mom, it's me. I'm, you know, just getting out of City Hall. We're being evacuated. I'm okay. I got to go. I got to, you know, give my phone to somebody else to make a call because nobody's phones are working. And I said, Mom, did the second tower, did the second tower collapse? And she said, yeah. And like, because we just didn't know. Um, so I, then I give my phone to the, the advanced guys, the mayor's advanced guys, the other speechwriter, And we get evacuated. We drop people off. The mayor was at a firehouse in the West Village. Everybody at that point was theoretically going to Gracie Mansion. And so we, the driver took us up to Gracie Mansion, sort of a funny, weird thing. The, the guy who was driving us was just like a city administrative services guy, just like a total, like, he just makes sure, you know, your stack of paper shows up for a printer. Um, you know, <laughs> he just, he just dri- he's just right. a delivery guy. Yeah, he's just, and delivery- now he's delivering the mayor. Right. And we're going north and he's like, and it's just now me and the other speechwriter. And he's like, hey, guys, you know, I, what do I do with the van when I'm done? Like, I, I don't think I can get back downtown. I said, well, where do you live? He said, I live in Queens. So just go home. Go home. <laughs> Buddy, you're going to be fine. Bring it back. No you know? one cares. <laughs> you're going to be okay. Uh, so we get dropped off at Gracie Mansion. It was way up on, far on the Upper East Side. And I remember walking in. The guy who was working the security gate was a, one of the cops that I knew really well. We start talking to him, and the mayor's dog is sitting by the gate. Go, dog's name's Goalie. And Goalie, like, just was always, like, he was just one of those dogs that just wanted affection. And I just looked into his eyes, and he just looked at me, and he was like, that dog needs a belly rub. And I just went over, gave him a big pet. And it turns out the mayor, everybody had gone to the police academy, which is out of 23rd and 3rd, 27th, 3rd, 26th and 3rd. And the other speechwriter and I are looking at each other, and it's like, well... We're not going to be able to get down that far. He had a location on Central Park West that we could go to and hang out at for the night. So we literally, by that time, it's noon, one o'clock. We're walking across Central Park, Kitty Corner, the long way from the northeast side to the southwest side. And it is a beautiful New York day. Clear blue sky, warm, but has that cool fall feel no humidity in the air, and there is not a single person but the two of us in Central Park walking across the way. All of a sudden, a noise, sort of a shocking noise, comes, you know, ear picks up, and I immediately realize it's a jet, and it's not a, a, a you know, commercial jet, it's a military jet, and two F-16s go screaming right over us. And, you know, that was like, wow. Yeah, we got, got this. Yeah. We've got, uh, this is, we're in a different place right now. Um, yeah, and then, you know, really, it's not about 9-11. It's like the next 100 plus days for the mayor was just, you know, first it was rescue. Not a lot of people were rescued. Then it was recovery. And of all the people who died, not, you know, a bunch of them, I mean, I'm going to say this, it sounds really harsh. They're vaporized. They disappeared. They do not exist. And, and and we didn't know any of that at this time. No. We, hospitals were expecting yeah. this flood when of we drove, people. When we drove out of lower Manhattan, we went by Pres, um, Presbyterian in the West Village, and there were doctors and gurneys lined up waiting to receive people. 
and you really either got out and maybe had a busted arm or a busted leg because some debris hit you, right. or <clears throat> you were gone. And, and when you say gone, there are bunches of people like Rick Rascor Colonel Rick Rascorla, right? Uh, very, very famous uh, officer. One uh, I have personal connection to. Right. And he was just gone. Yeah. There was a fire chief. They were only able to identify him months later by a sweatband in his helmet, and that's what his family buried. There was a firefighter. They only found his finger, and that's what the family buried. A couple of 144 out of the 343 firefighters had actually given blood to a bone marrow test a week or two earlier prior to 9-11. And so there was actually vials of blood, their blood that the families would bury, because that was the only thing that was left of them. And we forget that. You know, it's, um, you know, I spent, uh, after working for the mayor, I went to work for the fire commissioner, and I spent basically 14 months of my life writing eulogies and memorial services for firefighters. And these are guys that they ran into these buildings. They didn't say, hey, do homosexuals work there? Hey, do black people work there? Hey, do Mexicans work there? Hey, do illegals work there? No, they went in there and they, they did, they performed probably the greatest single rescue operation in the history of the United States of they America. Saved, they saved tens of thousands of people's lives. More than 25,000. More than 25,000 people. And there's, there's the security director for, which firm was it? Was it Marsh McClellan? It was, uh, it, you're talking about Rick Rascorla. Right, yes, and he saved 2,700 uh, people. Colonel, he was, he's yep. on the cover of uh, We Were Soldiers Once and Young. Yep. Uh, uh, there no, let, me, let me give you the Rick Rascorla story right. for me. Rascorla, very famous uh, platoon, uh, British officer, uh, became an American officer, right. went to OCS, fought at Idrang, which is a very big battle for the 1st Cavalry. Uh, again, we were soldiers once and young with uh, 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 Mel Gibson. But he, he was the real deal. He's on the cover of the book. And um, his, when he left his platoon, the guy who took over was a guy named uh, Ron Flynn. Mm -hmm. Ron Flynn came back to California, joined the California Army National Guard, Eventually became a colonel and a brigadier general. Ron Flynn taught me. Oh, Rick Rascorla's platoon taught Ron Flynn how to survive in Vietnam. Ron Flynn came back, taught me and hundreds of other guys. Ron Flynn bought me my Stetson. He was a cavalry, uh, first of the 18th Cav Commander before I was. Uh, he was at our wedding, right, honey? Mm -hmm. uh, he used to wear a cape. So Rick Rascorla, uh as I understand, it was head of security for Morgan Stanley. Right. Uh, he refused. He, he forced them to do training because he thought that the World Training Center was going to get hit. Right. When it did get hit, he evacuated them. He was singing right. uh, British songs like Men of Harlech. If you've ever heard uh, Z uh, watch Zulu, you know it. The building security came on and said, stay in your offices. And he said, no, we're no. getting everybody out of here. 2,700 people were there that day. And he got, got them all out. Yeah, and, he, and and, he and 13 people, 13 of his security team right. died. And the last he was seen, I believe it was either a, I think it was an NYPD officer. He said, come on, you got to come out. And he said, I'll be out with the last man. And the, the last, he, he was going back up the steps. You know? I, I mean, holy shit. That, you know, when you, when you think of an American officer, that's what you think about. But that, that kind of heroism wasn't unique. Right. It was, you know, firemen, cops, EMTs, regular people helping other, you know, helping handicapped people down 50 flights of stairs. Right. Did, did it surprise you 
that so many people rose to the occasion on 9-11? At some point, I mean, I guess what I'm asking is, were you like, wow, I can't believe it happened? I mean, people say, I can't believe it happened, right. but they're kind of like, well, yeah, I kind of believe it. But, I mean, was it stunning to you, or was it something that you, in retrospect, expected? Well, you, I don't think you expect that. I mean, the, the day was entirely unexpected. I will say, like, Father's Day of that year, 2001, uh, there was a fire in Queens that killed three firefighters. Firefighter Ford, Fahey, and Dowling. I wrote two of their three eulogies. And what they did to say, try to save lives, it was, I had written a few eulogies before, but this, I think, was the first event where I had three firefighters die in one event. And you really learn the heroism. These guys, it's not just, it's not like Fred who lives down the street is a firefighter. No, Fred is a firefighter. His dad was a firefighter. His brother's a firefighter. His uncle's a firefighter. His grandfather was a firefighter. The fire station that's like closest to the World Trade Center is uh, called 10 House, Engine 10, Ladder 10. And Engine 10 was founded in 1865. So like these, these firehouses have legacy in them. Um, and these men rush toward danger to safe life and property when other people run away from it. And so was I, I was not surprised. I mean, I remember seeing, um, chief Gancy was the chief of department when the first eulogy I wrote, I remember seeing him in city hall and being like, that is a guy you would not want to be on the wrong side of in a, in a, in a foxhole, in a bar fight, in a situation. On the other hand, that is a guy, if my life depended on it, I would trust it. He would put his hand around the, you know, the sh your shirt collar and pull you to safety. And that he was 54 years old. And that's what he did. Yeah, and that's exactly what he did throughout his entire career. And that's exactly what all those guys did. So, um, no, that's, that's, that's what they did. Now, I, I think in some ways it could be considered you know, cheap to talk about America's situation right now in comparison to what happened then. But on, on the other hand, I think it's also important. How does it make you feel when you see people attacking the cops, attacking the kind of people who, who take on this responsibility for other Americans? I mean, what, what, what's your reaction to that? Well, and again, like it, these, we lost 23 NYPD police officers and 37 Port Authority police officers on 9-11. And they were charged with getting people out of the building. Again, it doesn't matter what color you were, what your ethnicity was, what your religion was. Like these people, people who go into law enforcement and who are first responders do it because they actually they care about life. They care about your life and your liberty and your safety. If you're not safe to walk the streets, then you are not free. And they have, there's a special calling. Like, if, if you're somebody who's a protester who's throwing Molotov cocktails at a Starbucks and you want to be part of the, the solution, I have an idea for you. Go take the civil service exam and become a cop, right? If you want to really be part of the solution, become a cop. Become a firefighter. Actually become a part of your community and contribute for something for the better. Stop with your intersectionality and your social justice warrior bullshit and actually sign a document that says you swear to uphold the Constitution in your everyday job and get out there and actually try to do good. I mean, it is the, the, the spoiled, rotten elitism of this protest class is 
Dickensian? Charles Dickens? <laughs> There's all they're all they're like literally Charles Dickens characters. You have like daughters of architects and you know sons of comic book you know uh, billionaires. It's like crazy who's out there like protesting injustices. Uh, and they're Bill not Ma- protesting rich people. They're <laughs> protesting blue collar guys right. who say, "I'm going to put my ass on the line for people I've never met." And yep. I don't care what color, race, or any of that shit is. Yeah, and Bill Maher had a great line. He said, he's, you know, to all the uh, the young you know, sorority girls who are out there throwing rocks at cops, uh, I don't think you're allowed to be more outraged about racism than maybe black people. So, you know, like, I, I, I think there, we, we have lost perspective. We have been in a society that has been fed a steady diet of rights and no diet of responsibility. And these entitled people are in the streets demanding rights without any responsibility. And that is, that's the opposite of what civil service is. The civil service is like, I take responsibility for your life. I take responsibility for your security. I take responsibility for your safety and I will protect those. And that's what civil servants do. And, you know, if I, I can sum it up, maybe that's the real lesson of 9-11. A lot of people are talking about, well, you know, it's a day to mourn the law. And, and it is. But it's also a date to celebrate. Mm-hmm. And it's a date to celebrate guys who run towards the fire. Yep. Guys who say, my life is less important than all these other civilians. Yeah. And that goes for the guys who went and fought the war on terror, 7,000 of whom came back in, in, in bags. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Owen, I, I want to thank you for uh, doing this. I didn't expect to go off in this direction. I thought we were going to have our typical jokey kind of, you know, me talking shit. But uh, th- thanks for thanks for talking about this. It's a it, 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 some people need to hear. Uh, guys, uh, Unredacted with Kurt Schlichter, my guest, Owen Brennan. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter. You can read my town hall stuff. You can read my books. Hey, I'm on Twitter, too. Hey, you're on Twitter, too. At, at Owen Brennan. The uh, traditional spelling. <laughs> Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Adios. <laughs>